The advice and opinions expressed by the hosts of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Welcome to Autism Live and to Ask Dr. Doreen. I'm Shannon Penrod, and there is the fabulous Dr. Doreen Grampache joining us this morning to answer your questions live. Today is Wednesday. It is June 9th, 2021. So we are live right now on several different platforms, including Facebook, YouTube, and on Twitter. And we welcome your questions, your comments, your concerns. We're live on a bunch of different sites as well. But if you are, there's Zara saying hello on Facebook. Hi, Zara. If you're live on any one of those three, Facebook, YouTube, or Twitter, you can be writing in right now and we can see your comment in real time. I will tell you that we also have a chat on our website that you can write in on, but it's not working today. So don't write in there. Uh, so we're getting, we're getting that fixed. But it is not working today, and I want to make sure that people know that. So if you're right, trying to write in there, I'm not getting your messages right now, but we're on it, and we're getting it fixed. I also want to let you know that this show will be available as a podcast, a free download wherever you get your podcasts. We encourage you to check out our full library of videos. Right now, we are the number one rated autism podcast worldwide, and that is because of all of you. Thank you. You will notice that when you go to our homepage, autism-live.com, you can search through our entire library of video videos, and that when you're there about six seconds, a pop-up will come and it'll say, please subscribe. If you subscribe, I want you to know that we do not spam you, but we will send you a viewer guide to let you know who's on upcoming shows, and we also have some amazing content that we're going to be showing exclusively to our subscribers uh, across the summer. So please subscribe. We really love it when you do that. And please like, share, follow, uh, review, all of the things. That's what made us number one. Uh, saying good mor morning to Parker. Um, and Parker, I'm so glad that you got on the waiting list to, to do that stuff that was on yesterday that we were talking about. And we're saying hello to Roberta. So Dr. Grampiche is here with us, and she is a true expert in the field of autism. I believe the preeminent expert in the field of autism in our time, in any time. She's been working in this field for more than four decades. I know, like everybody do a reality check, how could that possibly be? But it's true. And she's worked with a wide variety of individuals uh, very young babies up through senior citizens. And one of the things that we love about her is that she looks at folks and units on the spectrum, because like the family unit around it as individuals, not, not one size fits all. And so we're thrilled to have her here with us. She's ready to answer your questions. However, asterisk, 
There is no expert in any field that could answer individual specific uh, information in this format. So please be as specific as possible about what your question is, but understand that Dr. Grampichet is going to answer your question in a in a general sense and maybe ask you more questions to take back to the people who have eyes on the situation. Did I leave anything out, Dr. Grampichet? No, no, that was fantastic. And good morning, everyone. It's really lovely to be back. Uh, Shannon, we do have a visual lag on your camera, or maybe it's mine. I don't know, but is there? there I assume there's nothing we can do about that. Uh, I can try turning my camera off and restarting it. So I'm going to make it full screen you as soon as I ask you this question. Zara says, I have a son who is 10 years and he's having a bit of sensory issue. He bites his hand uh, when he gets frustrated or when demands are in place. He, uh, we tried shoes and he hated them. He doesn't like anything on his hand or his necklace. Um, and he does use a communication device. I'm going to full screen you and I'll be back in a minute. Okay, great. And Zara and all of our viewers, it's so nice to have your questions coming in. Um, I hope that we can be helpful today. So starting with uh, Zara's question about 10-year-old who has a lot of sensory issues and he bites his hand when he gets frustrated or when somebody asks him to do something, a demand is placed. So Let's start as we always do when we are behavior analysts, what we're looking for is why. Why does he bite his hand? And it's, uh, let's separate out for a minute because there's, you said he has a lot of sensory issues. I'd like to come back to that and understand what his sensory issues are, how, how you see those. And, and perhaps you can write that in the chat for us. But this is biting his hand when he's frustrated or when a demand is placed is wonderful the way you've written it because clearly a behavior analyst has uh, worked with you because you in that sentence already are telling me why he bites his hand. He bites because he's frustrated or he bites because when a demand is placed, what is he trying to accomplish? A demand is placed, he bites his hand. What usually happens after that? As parents, we tend to be alarmed if our child does something like bite his hand. And we tend to back off the demand. So usually if a child realizes that they ask me to do something, I don't want to do that thing. I'm going to bite my hand. When I bite my hand, they back off then in the child's thinking, that becomes a really effective thing to do. So the thinking is, hey, if I don't want to do something, all I have to do is buy my hand. And it generally will freak people out enough so that they can back off and not force me to do the demand I didn't want to do. So that becomes a really um, actively effective form of communication. I don't want to do something, I'm going to bite my hand because I know whenever I bite my hand, they back off and leave me alone. So what does that mean? That means that you should not back off when he bites his hand. That's like lesson number one. If you want that particular form of command of communication to stop, that's great. And I just saw that Zara wrote, no, we keep the demand until, until he does the task. You're doing the right things, Zara. You just need to keep doing it. 
And you need to make sure that others uh, in his world continue to do it as well. And if you, uh, if everyone does not back off when you place a demand and he bites his hand, what will happen is eventually he'll realize biting my hand is not going to get me out of this demand. Okay, I'm just going to have to do what they're asking me. Now, having said that, you also mentioned that he gets frustrated. How do we know he gets frustrated? Because we're making the assumption that maybe the demand is a little too hard. I don't know. You don't back off on the demand, but maybe overall make the demands a little bit easier. Reward a little bit more. Whenever you're kind of tweaking things, it's sort of like, uh, our kids will reject things or express frustration when it's either too hard um, or, and you know, you're still kind of forcing him to do it, but maybe it's just a little hard. So what you need to do is maybe give him a little bit more prompting and make sure that you give him a lot more reinforcer. That's extremely important. So if you want to go back now and write to me why, when you say he has a lot of sensory issues, maybe there's other things we can do to help him kind of keep, uh, overcome, not overcome, really manage, uh, live with his sensory issues in a way that's more manageable for him. Does that work? Sorry, hopefully my, I'm caught up now. Um, I'm going to go back, uh, I'm going to come back to this, but in the meantime, we have a question that might have some sensory issues in it too. Roberta wants to know, how can I wean my adult son off of music earphones? They have become a crutch, but works for sensory issues when in the community. Also, my son has a phobia of dogs, all sizes, and this limits our time in the community. And she says, thank you. Sure. No problem. Those are two separate issues. So let me first ask you, Roberta. Why do you want to get him off the earphones? What I would do is I wouldn't necessarily get him off. I would limit it to certain times when he needs them. It is a crutch. Uh, we all have crutches. If you think about it, um, you know, wearing a watch can be considered a crutch because you need to check the time. So having headphones on is a crutch and it's a perfectly adaptive, functional, fine crutch for, especially for, for, kids and adult, uh, young adults, as long as he's not doing it when he shouldn't. So in other words, he can't be putting earphones on and listening to music when he's in class. He's supposed to be listening to the teacher. Uh, he can't be putting his headphones on and listening to music when you're trying to have dinner and socialize or something like that. So I would restrict the times, but I would absolutely allow him to keep it. Um, it is a very, very useful uh, thing for kids to manage their own sensory issues. It is very important. Um, it's like wearing sunglasses. Uh, it's, uh, we don't wear sunglasses inside uh, because we don't necessarily need them. Uh, if someone wore sunglasses inside and it prevented them from seeing things, then I would have an issue. But wearing sunglasses outside so the sun doesn't hurt your eyes, perfectly fine. So. Um, and you said he has a phobia of dogs. And so let's talk a little bit about phobias because there's, uh, we do deal with phobias behaviorally and there's a whole process. And I recommend you also Google this because you'll get the detail of the process. It is called uh, systematic desensitization. Systematic desensitization. 
And it has three parts. The first part of it is that you sit with your dog, with your child, and you list the, the things that he's afraid of on a hierarchy. But the, and you say dogs, so let's just talk about that. But it's not necessarily, you know, you want to list the hierarchy from the least fear evoking to the most fear evoking. So let's say the highest fear evoking would be your child uh, in a very close proximity to a large, scary looking dog in real life, right? That would be the most fear evoking. The least fear evoking could be looking at a picture of a small dog, okay? And I don't know, you know your child better. So you get those two borders. What's, what's the one that really barely evokes any kind of fear at all, but it's related to the stimulus. And the one that is extremely fear evoking. And let's say you now fill the gap in between with 10 or 20 steps, how, however many you need. So you gradually, like let's say the next step from a small dog, picture of a small dog would be perhaps a video of a small dog. And then it would be, let's say, uh, you know, a video of a medium-sized dog. And then it would be a, a video of a large dog. Then it would be, let's say, a video or a TV show something of a large dog who's aggressive, whatever it might be. And then you can go on to... Uh, maybe looking at a dog through a glass window, so it's real, but he's still protected and someone is with him. Then it's, you know, looking at your dog through a glass window when he's alone, but he's still protected and so on and so forth until the very last one is, so then you can have real life exposure to a small dog, real life exposure to a medium dog and real life exposure to a large scary dog. Okay, so those are all of your steps. Now you put this, on a shelf for a minute. And then you will now work on teaching your child some sort of relaxation activity. Could be anything from breathing exercises, visual exercises, mostly we do visualization stuff. So it's kind of like, almost like meditation, but you teach the child to close their eyes for a moment and imagine something that's very, very calming, soothing for them. Going back to the prior uh, person who said, their child uses music as a crutch. Music is a good one here where you can actually teach your child. So the, the, the focus of this phase two is to teach your child some activity that's extremely calming. And it could be just deep breathing and visualization of some very calming type of thing, like children like the beach. It's kind of like meditation or you know, meditative hypnosis type stuff. So imagine a beach, imagine the sand, imagine how nice it feels, that kind of stuff. Just so you can, uh, or it could be something as nice as listening to calm music. Whatever it is, you, you need the child to be able to get really good at that so that when they need to, they can pull that visual image up. And believe me, a lot of our kids can do this very well. So once you've done, uh, you know, with whatever the visual image is or whatever the calming exercise is, now you go into phase three of the systematic desensitization activity and you start with the least evoking picture and you pair it with that calming thing, right? So uh, the child is 
tiny bit of, of anxiety is arising in the child and we teach the child to relax. And we teach them to just you know, do that visual thing. Now we move on to the next stimulus and the next, and we do the same thing. And this process could take a month. It, it takes a little time. But every day you, you move a little bit higher up the hierarchy and you teach the child to relax and be calm while exposed to that anxiety-provoking stimulus. And remember, we already have our list. So, and you can go back, if you get to a point in the list where it's a little bit too much and the child starts to panic, just calm things down and go back to the prior stimulus where they were successful and stay there for a little bit longer. And when the child's ready, you'll go back to the next phase and so on and so forth. And you gradually get the child to the point where he can actually uh, calm himself in the presence of a uh, scary looking dog. Also with dogs, you should know that it is sometimes helpful when you can um, go a little bit past the point, like his last stimulus might be just in the presence of a scary dog. You might wanna ha have him actually interact with the dog. Interacting, feeding, petting, that kind of stuff also helps our kids understand that dogs don't have to be scary. Yeah, we, we have, we've done covered stories before about kids who end up going and uh, reading books to dogs in the in the shelters, and that they they end up loving dogs. So, a lot of uh, people. Uh, Rondunia has written in and said that her, for instance, her child is a calming technique. Likes to repeat the alphabet. Uh, Jem just told me the other day that he does prime numbers in his head. He goes through the prime numbers, and that it relaxes him. I would have a heart attack if I was trying to do the time prime numbers because I wouldn't like I'm so bad with numbers. But e each person has their thing, right? But Zara has written back and she says, uh, talking about sensory issues with her son, he likes to rock back and forth on the sofa, and we replace that with a rocking chair. He doesn't like anything on his hands or around his neck. Neck. We tried the chew tubes, but he hates wearing any chews around his neck. He likes to throw things and watch them and stim with his hands. He likes to throw a mug outside when he's outside. And all he wants to do is get, uh, I think, I don't know whether that's mug or mud. All, all he wants to do is get the mud and throw that in the backyard. So I think it's mud. And we've tried to replace with sand uh, uh, the different kind, but it's not working. And yeah. uh, and, and by the way, Roberta said she's going to try those steps tomorrow, that it was great advice and that her son is 23. So thank you for that. But so sure. now you have a little bit more information about Zara and the sensory. Yeah, those are great uh, examples of sensory things. Zara. And I think what you need to do with your son is what you've done, what you started to do, which is kind of make um, these types of activities that he needs as socially adaptable and acceptable as possible. Like for instance, replacing with a rocking chair is brilliant. It's very, very good. And it is actually a very, very calming activity for all of us. I, I don't know, Shannon, I think we may have mentioned it before on this show, but vertical rocking, this type of rocking, activates the parasympathetic portion of our autonomic nervous system. And that causes you to calm down and relax. So, so everybody just remember that one. That's actually why we have rocking chairs for, with, when we have babies is because it's a very, very soothing, calm, calming activity. If you do this, it will uh, 
calm you down. It is just, that's part how, how the brain works. So that's a great one. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with being on a rocking chair. Now, with his chewing stuff, I, I don't know. I can't tell uh, if he's chewing or not. He doesn't like anything on his hands or around his neck. That's totally fine. We don't need to put anything on his hands or around his neck. But uh, it does sound like he likes some textures because he likes to throw things, watch them, and he's stimming with mud, perhaps. I think I would probably find some sort of similar activity that could become functional. Now, if I remember with Zara, it's, he's only 10 right now. So right now it might be something like uh, playing with uh, clay, let's say molding things out of clay or wet sand, right? And so as long as he has that as an activity that he can do certain times of the day, the rest of the time, you prevent it. You do not allow him to go and throw mud. If he throws mud, he's got to come inside, period. But you want to satisfy his needs by having a period of the day where he's doing some sort of similar uh, sensory thing, but it's under what we call your SD control. So it's like it's allowed. You are allowing him to do this, but you're not allowing him to do the mud throwing thing. Later, when he gets older, uh, you might want to teach him baking because he'll get a lot of that sensation just out of dough, for instance, and that might be something that he's into. So it's kind of like we try to figure out what the sensation is, and then you try to replace it with something adaptable. Yeah, I'm, I'm wondering um, if this kiddo would be somebody who could take a pottery class. Absolutely. Absolutely. Throw, throw pots on a wheel, you know, if that's the sensation that he loves. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe, maybe that's the thing. Okay, I want to uh, switch to a comment that we had written in that really touched my heart. Somebody wrote it and said, I have a new ro roommate with autism, extremely high functioning. However, as an adult, they uh, need, still need a caretaker in a sense. They cannot drive, really bad with money, super gullible, can't really cook. I've never lived with someone with autism. However, my heart broke when they told me their story. I'm Caucasian and they are a person of color. Most of 2020, they were homeless and even caught COVID because of it, couch surfing, they got sexually abused by some they were staying with and others took their social security money and EBT, all while calling them racial slurs to their face. Some people are truly dis. I have no interest in taking advantage of this human. They've been through enough and I certainly don't want to add to the list. The issue is not only am I dealing with autism, I'm also dealing with PTSD from what they experienced in 2020. I'd like to help promote independence so that one day they can live on their own. However, also don't want to come off as cold. And I also don't want to coddle too much either. And I'll happily take any advice that I can get. Good Lord. What an amazing individual you are, first of all, yeah. for just taking this on, huh, Shannon? That's pretty amazing. Absolutely. Sending them a hug, right? Um, yeah. It really touched my heart to think of this poor person who has been through so much and has landed with a person who's saying, I want to help. I'm not sure how. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. You know, I guess, I think a really wonderful story. I agree with Roberta. I think you, I mean, I want you to be successful. First of all, I really appreciate how much you care about this individual and how kind of an individual you are that you're trying to help. 
but I feel like there's a lot here and we'll try to unpack it. I'm not sure that just being a roommate, you can actually successfully manage all of it. Um, so, you know, the autism part, mostly when you have a high functioning adult who is struggling, uh, a lot of it has to do with the inability to understand things from other people's perspectives. So it's very, very hard. I always say our, our adults, our teens, our kids are extremely sweet, kind individuals. And just because they are very uh, wonderful and nice inside, they cannot project that someone else might be, um, you know, having uh, evil thoughts or intentions. They just don't understand that because it's not something within them and they have a very hard time understanding that other people have different thoughts, different beliefs, different in, uh, intentions, different motivations, and so on. So a lot of times our kids really have very little understanding of anything evil at all. So it doesn't make sense to them to even think of protecting themselves. They don't think that someone else might be lying to them. They don't think that someone else might deceive them and tell them something so they can steal from them. They just don't understand any of these. Now, now if you realize, if you notice, I named a lot of different things. And teaching all of that to the individual is a lot of work. It's not as easy as just saying, hey, take someone else's perspective and understand that other people uh, can be mean. It's not that simple. It's a lot of little, little steps. I don't know if it's something that you could help the individual figure out. If you think you can, the place where we have all of this listed out is on skills, on our, on our uh, online curriculum called Skills. It's Skills for Autism. If you look it up, skillsforautism.com, and there's a particular curriculum area called cognition. That area focuses only on this particular thing, which is understanding others. Okay. And if you, it also has a lot to do with understanding yourself, actually, because it starts with metacognition and kind of recognizing your own feelings and so on. But that's a lot of work. If you want to take it on, I would start with going to skills and I would learn about these individual lessons because we've kind of listed all of them in, a, in an order. So it starts from something very easy. Now you could, since this is an adult, there's a lot of these activities also listed in our skills platform, which is for adults, um, called skills living. Um, and you can go in there and you'll find a million things that are very useful to the person and you can help them with those things. Now, if you can't, if you feel like, oh my God, this is a lot I took on, what was I thinking? Um, then I think that you might want to try to get services for your roommates. I mean, we have a lot of adults at CARD um, and they're mostly extremely high functioning. And this is the stuff we work on, actually. It's all this stuff. It's teaching the individual to try to understand, uh, maneuver the world a little bit more, protect themselves, uh, understand deception, understand uh, good intentions and bad intentions, all of those types of social types of skills. So, uh, and, and of course, insurance and Medicaid covers this type of intervention. So 
if you can maybe get them into an ABA program. I know at CARD we have full programs for this, particularly for this. The second portion of what the, your roommate is struggling with PTSD is a very, very important thing. Uh, this person has had some sort of trauma occurring prior to your knowledge. And so that is, that's an additional layer of complication. And honestly, it's probably a more acute thing to deal with. And now I'm going to put on my psychologist hat for a minute because um, once we have trauma with something, it's funny because the previous person was writing to us about a dog. I mean, a lot of times kids have traumatic experiences, let's say with pets or animals, or they see something traumatic on TV and then that causes them to have a fear forever. And that fear prevents them from doing all kinds of stuff like this parent who was saying it won't even go out because there's dogs everywhere. So it's the same thing here with your roommate. They've had such a traumatic experience that now they're mistrusting of people in general. Now they might even be very highly reactive to even the most benign circumstance. So with all of that said, I think uh, you, the, uh, an ABA professional can help you with this as well. A BCBA could help you treat the PTSD from a behavioral perspective. And by the way, the procedure is exactly what we just talked about, which is systematic desensitization. Uh, PTSD, after all, is a very, very extreme heightened fear of some stimulus that is similar to the prior trauma-causing stimulus, right? So you go through exactly the same steps that we talked about, which is, hey, let's relax just thinking about like level one of whatever it was that you experienced, and then we gradually increase it. Uh, psychologists use uh, systematic desensitization and other types of techniques like uh, meditation, visualization, etc., to help with PTSD. They also use uh, other types of therapies that only psychologists are trained in, for instance, tapping types of therapy early. Uh, there are lots of research shows that these types of like PTSD with veterans who come back and have PTSD, they do tapping therapy and it really does help them. And tapping is, is a little bit too complicated for me to want to talk about here, but it does actually have a lot of effect. So I would separate the issues. We have autism, we have the, the PTSD stuff going on, the autism, and if it's you know, straightforward doing just a systematic desensitization thing, a BCBA, board certified behavior analyst can help you with. Uh, if the PTSD is, is just so overwhelming that it's starting to cause the individual something like agoraphobia, like they don't even want to go out because they're scared of so many things, then I really think you need a psychologist. Um, all of this stuff is insured. Insurance covers it, medical insurance or Medicaid. So I think as a really good friend that you are, roommate who cares, I guess if it was me, I wouldn't want to take all this on myself. I think I'd want to build up uh, the ability for the individual to get help from multiple sources. And that really starts with getting their insurance and figuring out what kind of coverage they have and then helping them find therapists. That is a lot if you can do that. Absolutely. Since you mentioned Dr. Grampiche skills and IBT, I'm going to um, take this opportunity to give our update for this week because every week in COVID, 
Skills and IBT have come together to offer some free things to those of you at home because they hope that you can utilize them and that you're in, if you're in need, they want you to make sure you have it. So um, this week for ABA parents and uh, guardians and caregivers, they're offering a free IBT parent e-learning course, Parent Useful Strategies for the Home. I can't think of a better video to be watching this week to understand because uh, a lot of you, your kiddos have been in school and some of you, you're, you know, you're, you're back being full-time where there's no distraction. And so this useful strategies for the home, really useful. And that is free to you. I'm going to give you a phone number where you can get hooked up with that in just a second. So get your pencils ready. For educators, for those of you who might be teachers or no teachers, this is a, a great um, e-learning module on the Institute for Behavioral Training that they're offering. It's Educator Behavior Management, and this is where it's all at. I, I can't even tell you, as a former teacher, I'm all, all the time saying to people, you can't even get to teaching unless you can manage the behavior in the classroom, and it's not easy but this is an amazing e-learning and it's free. Um, and I'm going to give you the phone number in a second. They're also offering their RBT, which is Registered Behavior Technician 2.0 training course. This is the online portion towards getting a certification for uh, as a registered behavior technician or a board certified autism technician. They're giving that for free, the entire thing. That's a $440 value to parents and caregivers on a case-by-case -case basis. You have to call them and say why you want it. It's a 40-hour course, and you have to demonstrate that you're willing to do the whole course. Um, but it's like such a good thing, and I don't know how much longer they're going to be offering it for free, so I really want to encourage people to do that. Also, they're offering a 10% discount on any skills product. So that's the, the skills curriculum that Dr. Grand Pichet was just talking about or the adult curriculum, which is uh, the skills living curriculum. So all you need to do to get any of these is to call this number, 877-975-4559. Again, that's 877-975-4559. When you call, you'll want to say to them, you saw it on Autism Live, you can say you're a friend of Shannon's. I always say, tell them it's the friend and family discount um, that I, I just enjoy that. Um, they'll, I think a lot of times they're like, what are you talking about? Because it's for everybody. You don't have to be friends or family, uh, but you all are. So if you are watching and a lot of you, I know watch from overseas, you're not in the United States and the 877 number seems like something that's insurmountable. Please send me an email at s.penrod at autism-live.com. Traven's got it up on the screen there, and I will make sure to forward it to them. Please be patient. I think they only, they batch those, and they only do them once a week. So if you don't hear back right away, just know that I've forwarded it off to them. If, it, if more than a week goes by and you don't hear from them, please stop back with me so that we can um, make sure that you get hooked up with that. And again, I, they've been doing this just in COVID. I don't know how much longer it's going to continue. So if you've been on the fence You've been thinking about doing that RBT course. I'm just going to tell you, you should do it now, right now. All right. 
Uh, moving on to the next question, and uh, but don't let me forget, Dr. Grampuche, I have to give an update for our Oregon families. I don't want to forget. So uh, how do I stop hyperfixation and dependence on routines? I just had a major meltdown due to a change of plans. How can this stop? I want to be there for my family and be normal, but I hate this about myself. I'm in therapy now. I need ABA style intervention, I think, to stop this. And I'm just sending you a hug um, because, uh, you know, I think uh, the fact that you want to know how to stop this is so beautiful. And I, and I also want to say that everybody has a little bit of uh, difficulty with change, but if it's gotten to the point of the major meltdown, I just appreciate the maturity of saying, I'd like to figure this out. I applaud that. Absolutely. And, and good for you. Well done. Um, let's start with, you know, don't be mad at yourself because as Shannon said, we all have, um, stuff that leads to a meltdown, you know, uh, it starts with forgiving yourself. Um, I would say that you will start by, so a lot of, when we have anxiety about change, um, it has a lot to do with feeling that the change has caused a loss of control. So in other words, I don't control my environment because it just, someone else just changed it on me or something just happened that yeah, the, the plans changed. And so I don't have control. And when we feel we don't have control, a lot of times anxiety increases and we just feel out of control. So um, when that's, if that's the case and if that holds true to you, if you feel like when some change of plans occurs, you feel like heightened anxiety, then what you need to focus on are activities that will help manage the anxiety um, and then you can get really good at them. And then those activities will become very useful to you when a change of plans occurs or something occurs that's about to throw you into a meltdown. Uh, now, there are lots of activities you can do to calm yourself down. In fact, we've been talking about some of these things, right? So you could take the whole concept. It's funny that today so many things are coming up about uh, that can use systematic desensitization. Like one of the things you can do is you can list all the different types of change of plans or stimuli that lead to heightened anxiety or lead to a meltdown. Now meltdowns can be due to other things too, but just the ones that have to do with a change of plans. Like it's probably more annoying or upsetting or anxiety provoking for you if a change of plans occurs uh, without your knowledge and immediately before some activity was supposed to happen that you loved, right? So that's like the worst case scenario. And then an easier scenario or, or one that would cause less of a meltdown might be something like, oh, you have a plan that's coming up in a week and someone tells you that we're gonna change the plans slightly, right? So that now you have time to deal with it as opposed to just happened and it, it felt like the rug was pulled out from under you. And now you work on how to relax and how to calm yourself and how to understand that this is just about you feeling uh, out of control or feeling like you don't have control over your environment. So you work a little bit on yourself. You work a little bit on, on relaxation techniques, a little bit on calming of your own internal anxieties. 
Uh, you can do that on your own. You can do that with a psychologist. I recommend talking to a psychologist because they will help you understand where it all comes from and why you kind of have these anxieties and, and how you can have, uh, there's so many techniques, like there's no way I could even uh, go into it here. There are so many techniques that psychologists can teach you, like things in your environment, objects in your environment, that every time you look at them, it's a reminder of relaxation. So you can place these objects all over your house so that you just, they cross your glimpse of you, you just see something suddenly and you're like, okay, wait, I need to take a deep breath and relax. There's so many things you can do to reduce your meltdown before it happens. And so a psychologist can really, really help you with that. You can try to do calming activities yourself as well. Another thing is you want to kind of tell people around you, the people who are changing the plans, you want to tell them, and there's nothing wrong with this, but you just want to say, hey guys, I have a really hard time when plans are changed without me knowing, like, can you please give me a heads up? Like, let me know a little bit ahead of time, or if there's a plan that's going to be changed and no one has a heads up then, and no one has any kind of ability to tell me ahead of time, then I want you guys to know that that throws me off. And if I'm going to be like, you know, if I'm suddenly feeling like someone has changed plans on me, it's going to freak me out a little bit. I'm going to need help calming down about it. Just ask your friends for assistance and help. So that when a situation like this happens, they are there for you and they understand that this is going to throw you off. There's nothing wrong with that. A lot of us have issues that we share with our friends. Our friends know the things we're sensitive about and they help us. And then the last thing is, of course, these types of anxiety related issues are often um, best dealt with through a combination of medication and therapy. Every, everything I know of in, um, in terms of like, uh, you know, issues that we have, difficulties, obstacles, whether they be mental, physical, or whatever, always research show, shows that it is best dealt with when you do kind of a multi-pronged approach, which is some medication and some therapy. The medication that deals with this kind of thing is either antidepressant or anti-anxiety medications. Happens that anxiety and depression are the same thing. Depression is when we turn it inwards, anxiety is when it's turned outwards. Same medication for both, always. So any of the serotonin reuptake inhibitors, which are called SSRIs, like Prozac, for instance, those types of things are very helpful. Now we have better medications like uh, serotonin and norepinephrine. These are our neurotransmitters that we're talking about. Neurotransmitters for people who get very anxious very quickly. What happens is that you are uh, your neurotransmitter balance, let's say, the message going through your nerve cells, through your neurons, uh, is you're producing a lot of norepinephrine, which is very functional it's the it's the neurotransmitter we uh, produce when we're supposed to run away from a danger uh you know it's the flight fight flight response you've heard of that but when what happens is when you when your body absorbs a massive amount of that neurotransmitter all at once you have a heart your heart rate goes up 
you're in this like fight mode right away, right? And that is is what leads to your meltdown because you have a hard time uh, regulating back from there. So uh, some of these neurotransmitters, if they can stay available to your body for a longer period of time, you get you your the physical response to these SSRIs and SNRIs is that. It, it fewer things will throw you into that level of chaos internally your body your biochemistry just a little bit calmer it's not going to be something that you know shows heavily i am a big supporter of these medications just because i've seen drastic drastic changes uh, with my children with the patients that i treat so i you know so th there are three choices here one is there are there are behavioral psychological activities that you can uh, learn for anxiety. Remember, this is all about anxiety. Um, second, there's medications, and uh, you can combine those or do one or the other. And the third is ask your friends for support. Long answer, Shannon. I love it. I absolutely love it. That was incredible. Um, in that same vein, because everybody's asking questions about anxiety and systematic desensitization, we have we had an adult who was just talking about it, and now we have somebody saying fireworks are a huge problem with my six-year-old son. Should we stay in this 4th of July? Yeah. Well, so let's see. It's the 90th, about a month or so, almost a month to work on this. I would really... Uh, start a really intensive systematic desensitization uh, program right now. You have a lot of time. Uh, and again, to repeat on this one, you would want to list basically all the different, you know, so fireworks. I, I think most of the time with our kids, fireworks, the, the scary portion is the sudden sound. Not sure if the visual is. It might be for him the visual as well. Um, but I think you definitely want to develop a hierarchy that goes from just and test this out. Maybe like looking at fireworks on a TV screen where there's no sound is not going to be a big deal for him. If that's the case, then, you know, it's definitely the sound um, and or could be maybe like he has seen the fireworks trickle down and kids have really vivid imaginations and they might think, oh, I'm going to get burned or something figure out what it is that is the scary portion for him. And then, as I said, produce a hierarchy um, of, of least to most fear evoking and uh, do some sort of uh, calming type of thing. For instance, in your child's case, if you find out that it is actually the sound of the fireworks, what you would want to do is teach your child to maybe get some headphones on, noise canceling headphones, so he or she can actually come outside with you and watch the fireworks. And you can test that out by putting fireworks on TV and have your child with their headphones. And so then now they know, oh, if I get scared, all I have to do is put these things on and I'll be perfectly fine. So as I said, uh, again, the hierarchy, some technique for self-regulation and relaxation, and then you pair the two up. Yeah, they commented that they said, thank you so much. They've been trying to make it educational, exciting. He does like watching on TV. But last year, there were so many illegal fireworks. And I think that, um, you know, uh, well, I'm sorry to hear that. I'm so glad to know it wasn't just our neighborhood that in COVID there, you know, because people couldn't gather where we live to go to fireworks, it, it some anytime we've been anything around any holiday, 
there have been so many illegal fireworks and it's it's crazy making. I mean, the dogs all go insane and I worry about our kiddos. Uh, I, I wonder if it's not easier to go away and go to a place where you're watching a professional fireworks with the headphones than staying at home and and having all of the stuff, the constant around the neighborhood where you can't see it and there's the booms and it rattles the house. It's a, it's a lot. Um, and she says that, yes, we did put some headphones on and he still has a meltdown. I, I you know, I, I feel for the kiddos because as an adult, it's upsetting to me because you're just like in your house and nothing happens and all of a sudden, boom, boom, boom. And you don't know where it came from. It's, it's, it's a very, uh, I, I think it's, I, for a lot of people, I'm sure it causes sensory issues. Difficult. That, that, definitely, Shannon. And that's why it's really important to figure out exactly what aspect of it is, is causing the fear. So sometimes for the kids, it's just, you know, the sound, even if they know it's coming, sometimes it's just the startle factor because they don't know it's coming and they don't know what it is because they can't even see it. It's too far away or something. But once you have all of that together, I don't know, I'm, I'm, and I agree with you, what, an easier one would be to go somewhere a little bit more distant. Um, my house in LA is, is in a place where I will hear it and I will see, uh, this is one of the professional ones done at a park, but I will see it very, very distant and I will see it pre and I will hear it pretty distant only if I go outside. So kind of that kind of environment would be an awesome environment for uh, this individual's child because it's almost uh, it's, it's, it's exposure, but it's pretty distant exposure. So if you have the ability to go someplace like that where you can give the child some exposure, but it's not like right around them where it's overwhelming. Systematic desensitization only works if you're able to do that graduated exposure. Remember, it's called systematic desensitizing, right? So it's kind of like, yes, Renee, come over to my house. <laughs> so it's all about the kind of graduated exposure so that it's not overwhelming. I want to, I'm one of those people where uh, I want to hit all anxieties as much as I can. I want to work on them as much as I can because I don't want my child, you know, if you ignore these anxieties, they end up being overwhelming over time. And you end up having so many fears or anxieties that you end up being agoraphobic. You don't want to go out because there's fireworks or dogs or whatever it might be. So working on these individually, I think, is kind of important because what you're doing is you're allowing your child in the future to have um, more ability to get out and socialize. I think that's pretty important for our kids. I, I so appreciate hearing you say that because I think a lot of us think, well, they'll outgrow it yeah. um, or that'll straighten itself out. And, and, and I appreciate hearing you say that that's not the tack to take, that that's not the way to help our kiddos. Um, I need to pause for a second and, and give an, a notice to any of our Oregon families. And I'm going to put this out. If you're not in Oregon, but you know somebody who's in Oregon, I, I need you to take a little action here. There is a law that requires insurers to cover their child's autism treatment, and it will expire this year if Oregon's elected representatives don't pass. And I'm going to give you the name of the bill. The bill is Senate Bill 358A. That's three. 
58A. We want everybody who has the ability to either know somebody in Oregon or you live in Oregon, please take a minute to find your state representative and send them an email asking them to support Senate Bill 358A. Uh, please add the chairs of the Joint Ways and Means Committee to your email. They are, for your knowledge, uh, Representative Dan Ray Field, Senator Betsy Johnson, and Senator Elizabeth Steiner Hayward. And please, we're asking autism families to share your personal stories um, in telling them that they need to pass this bill, because a lot of times people just don't understand what it is you're doing. And I know sometimes we're overwhelmed and we have other things to do, but if you have the ability uh, that you know somebody in Oregon or you live in Oregon, please take the time to do this because I know for a fact that your representatives, they keep, they have their assistants keep a tally. How many people wrote in this week and said they were for or against whatever? And that helps them because you're their constituents. That helps them to make their decisions. And if nobody writes in or one person writes in, they go, must not be a hot button issue. So um, please take the time um, because otherwise families are gonna lose services um, in the state of Oregon and we just simply can't have that. Um, we've come too far, uh, right? We've come a long way, baby. We, can't, we cannot go back. Uh, okay, so I, I, there was a question that I wanted to get to um, that somebody wrote in and said that their seven-year-old has been diagnosed with autism and that they videos on YouTube, and they want to know how should they go about getting um, access to ABA for their son. And so we've, we've got just a couple of minutes, but I, I felt like we really need to be addressing that, Dr. grant -Bichet. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are, uh, you know, the easiest answer and quick answer to that is contact Center for Autism and Related Disorders. You could contact any, any provider in any state, really. There are so many options now. Uh, you can actually go to your insurance company and ask them and say, I need ABA, and they will give you names of providers. Uh, what you generally need for that is to get a doctor, a psychiatrist, or a psychologist to, to give a recommendation for ABA. And once you have that, then you just go to the ABA uh, provider. And um, at CARD, what we do is we start with a very initial intensive uh, assessment of your child and their needs. And then we develop a program and then we submit that. That's called the intake process. And then we submit that back to your health insurance and we get ongoing coverage for six months and then we schedule that for your child and start to provide that to you, to your child. Um, and then we usually get a renewal in six months and so on. And that's kind of how it all goes. But uh, get, getting started is, is just contacting your payer, your health insurance and saying, I want ABA. Yeah. And if you, depending on what state you're in, as Dr. Grampuche has said, if you don't have insurance that covers it, then your Medicaid will cover it. Um, we have insurance mandates in all 50 states, but that, that doesn't mean the same thing for all people. Um, but, I, but I just want to put in a plug um, that, you know, it's, it's important that you get access to good quality ABA, that there are a lot of ABA providers that are out there now. It's like, you know, Joe's ABA service. And I say that, I don't think there is something called Joe's ABA service, but you know what I mean. Um, there, uh, there are people who decided to go into this business after insurance funded it. Some of those people are good. Some of those people are just there to make a buck. 
and we've seen that it's not equal, it's not even. And so you wanna make sure that you're with a good quality provider. Um, you know, that's a really important to do, thing to do. I will tell you that if you're interested in services at CARD, the Center for Autism and Related Disorders, then you'll wanna go to centerforautism.com, click the enroll button up at the top and you can see if your funding source uh, first of all, if CARD is in your area and if your funding source will allow you to, to use CARD. Um, so just wanted to put that out there. Roberta wants to know, doctor, do you work virtually with families on the waiver? So CARD does. Uh, we have a lot of uh, families who, and we accept all forms of funding. Um, and I, you know, so again, if you're interested in this type of advice, you can get that from a, usually from a board certified behavior analyst or BCBA at card. Um, I am not privately taking patients, although I do do a lot of diagnosis privately, unfortunately, because there's still a very big shortage of, of, uh, diagnosticians across the country and I'm licensed in a lot of different States. So I do a lot of that and I'm starting to do a project where I'm working with two-year-olds and three-year-olds um, with teams of therapists and supervisors at CARD where we're trying very, very hard to give them extremely intensive services and see how many kids we can actually pull out of the diagnosis altogether for highest outcome. But I'm really trying very hard to focus more on writing these days because uh, and I, I say that having made zero progress in the last few months, but my my goal is to to start putting more of my time into writing because I think a lot of these types of issues that, that we're responding to here are really common. We've been answering kind of the same questions for about 10 years, and these are problems for parents. There are always a lot of issues that you go through, and I feel like Maybe if, if we were able to put these out to you in, in manuals um, and books, it would be a lot easier to kind of look up. You know, what do I do when my child's afraid of things? What do I do when my child doesn't want to go out? All these types of things. Absolutely. And amen to that. And I want to support you in doing that. And I want to support you better than I have. Um, we've got time for one last question from one of our one of our dear friends that we love so much. They want to know, how do you explain the diagnosis to your child and when would they understand? Yeah, what an amazing question. I, you know, this is how I explain the diagnosis to parents even. And I think it's okay to do the same with your child. And I don't think, thank you, Renee. I don't think they will understand it. I think you'll know when they understand, when they, when it's time. Because it's either that the child themselves starts to feel like there's something different about me and I want to know what it is. Um, or it's when the, you know, they come home from school and someone has said something to them and they're hurting and you'll need to kind of explain it. And I think this is how I explain it to parents. You know, it's, if I wanted to go into the medical side of it, when I'm talking to a parent, it's a lot, right? It's like, Yes, our kids have issues with redox cycles. So when they're exposed to toxins, uh, they have a genetic predisposition to react differently and the body biochemistry 
uh, is different and this causes brain development to be different and this results in all the symptoms. So that's not where we want to go. What we want to talk about is autism is kind of just a name, right? It's a title, it's a label that we give when a whole bunch of things are happening. And what are those things? So some of them are, uh, you know, areas of skill. So for instance, some kids with autism have really incredible visual memory. Uh, so some of these things are pretty cool, but they all, let's face it, there are individuals on the spectrum of autism who are geniuses. Um, so there are some things that are good that fall under this as well. Not every child has all of these, but some kids are exceptionally musical. Some kids are exceptionally visual memory. Like I said, some kids, there's different things, right? But the rest of autism also has symptoms that can make life more difficult. Let's say there are skills that are not enough. I don't want to call them deficient, but they're just not enough to help the individual live comfortably in life. So for example, language, there might be language delays. Uh, there might be social delays because usually when there's a language delay, you're also socially delayed, right? And then because of those language delays and social delays, our children get frustrated and they have tantrums and aggression and so on. So what I'm describing is a series of behaviors. There's some behaviors there where there's too many and there are some behaviors where there's just not enough, not enough speech, not enough social behavior and too many, too much frustration, right? So it's all this stuff and we pile it and because it all falls into like some pattern, we call it autism. It's all symptom-based. It's not really like, oh, this is, you know, a label for life. The way to look at it is how can I make these symptoms um, milder, I guess, or bring the individual closer to the rest of the population that they live with? So uh, how do I teach the child all the things they need so that they can function in a normally developing world with more ease? And some of the stuff we talked about today is great examples. So the child has a great fear of something. That's going to make life difficult. So I'd like to help him get over that, right? The child has no communication. It's going to make, child, it's going to make life very difficult. So I'd like to teach him skills that will enable him to talk to others or non-verbally communicate with others because that's going to make life better. So it's about there are certain things that our children um, are really good at and that's great. And there are certain things that they need help with and those are the things that you will teach the child just like any other child. Like you know Shannon and I talk about our kids. I have two girls and a boy right and of course like you have one child who's like brilliant in math and statistics and so on. And another child who really struggles with those concepts. Doesn't mean one is better than the others because the other one who struggles with math might be a brilliant artist. It doesn't matter. It's a matter of what life do they choose and how can I assist them in uh, making that life easier. And so when, if your child comes home and says, hey, I'm a little different uh, I would say, yeah, you are. Everybody's different. And no one is the same as another person. And so what is it that you're struggling with? And whatever it is, we can certainly give it a label. The only reason for the label is to get funding. There's no other reason. Um, and then you just help the child learn the skills they need to uh, kind of merge into 
whatever path of life they've chosen. So that um, and I, I know you could talk about it endlessly, but we're way out of time and I know you got to go. Uh, I just want to thank you as always for being the amazing leader that you are and, and helping to shed a light. And I, and I love people who want to come to your house now who want to buy a hundred of your books and who are saying, thank you so much for all the work that you do. Thank you. Thank truly. You. Uh, we are, um, I just have to give a program programming note that we're going to be showing some of our best of episodes for tomorrow, Friday, Monday, and Tuesday, because my kid who was a card client who, um, if it weren't for Dr. Grampy, she, I don't know where we would be, but he's graduating from high school. So that is happening on Friday. And so I'm taking time to be present for that. So um, I'm sending all of you a hug. We'll be back here live with Dr. Grampy Shea next Wednesday. Um, but until then, we've got, we're going to show you some of the best things that we've done in the last 10 years. So be checking that out. Uh, and we wish you well. And thank you for all of your wish, well wishes. And Dr. Grampy Shea, thank you so much. We'll see you a week from today. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now. This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer.